Now, if you remember from the, the last couple of weeks, I've been uh, trying to impress upon you the connection between the first reading and the gospel, right? That there's very often this thematic connection between the Old Testament reading and the gospel. And so um, I'm going to focus on that, especially again today. And what I'm hoping is that, um, you know, I mean, I actually kind of have intentionality behind what I'm doing here, that, that sooner or later it sinks in and that you'll kind of just do this sort of naturally. You know, if it's new to you, I mean, some of you might be doing this already. So, um, with the, it was very short reading with Elisha, and the, the prophet Elisha in the first reading. And what we have is Elisha is, through the power of God, performing this miracle. He's feeding how many people? He's feeding 100 people, right? And he's starting out with uh, 20 loaves, right? 20 barley loaves made from the first fruits. And, uh, and his servant objects. His servant is saying, well, how can I set 20 loaves before 100 people? In other words, it's not enough. They obviously weren't large loaves, right? They were very small or modest loaves. There's no way um, these 20 loaves could feed 100 people. But Elisha, um, knowing the power of God, trusts in the power of God, and so there's a miracle that's performed. And we're told that the hundred um, are fed, and very modestly, then we're told that, you know, they had eaten and there was even some left over. It's sort of a very modest statement. They all ate and some was left over. Okay? Now, compare that to what Jesus does in the gospel. Now remember, Elisha starts with 20 loaves for 100. Jesus, we're told, has this great multitude of, of 5,000 men, which doesn't count any women and children who were there. It's interesting, you read about it. You know, the 5,000 men reclined. And then Jesus distributed, you know, the food. It just occurred to me, well, that's where the women were. You know, they were doing all the work. <laughs> yeah. But certainly there were women and, and children along also. So, and I'm sure that they ate as well. So presumably that number was, I don't know if it was double, but, but maybe, right? There was this great multitude, certainly well over 5,000, but certainly at least. And what does Jesus begin with? He begins with five loaves and two fish. So you see the comparison. He begins with five loaves and two fish for well over 5,000. Elisha began with, you know, 20 loaves for 100. All right, this is not by accident what Jesus is doing. Jesus is performing this miracle on purpose. Of course he's doing it on purpose. He's doing everything on purpose. But he's also doing it to signify and to, to recall what Elisha did. He wants them to remember and to think about all of these sort of bread miracles that occurred in the Old Testament. And this miracle of Elisha feeding the hundred was one of them. So Jesus takes the five loaves and the two fish, has them all reclined. And we're told that, um, that they were all fed. And actually, we're told that they had had their fill. The, the implication there, or what we're, what, what's sort of being implied, 
is that it's kind of like Thanksgiving they had had their fill. You know, it's not like, well, they just had sort of enough. No, they had had their fill. Everyone sort of ate to the point where, no, I've, I've had my fill. One of those things. Like, I can't eat anymore. Like Thanksgiving, when you, when you say, well, how many more plates do you need? You know, well, I've had one and then two and then, you know, it's halftime, so I'll go back for some more turkey. And is it time for pie? Well, when isn't it time for pie? It's always time for pie. <laughs> You know, and it's the third football game, so it's time for turkey again, you know. And so you just keep going back until your eyes are full of tryptophan. Um, and you're in a, in a low doze watching the football game. Um, it's, it's that sort of implication, right, that they've all had their fill. So as opposed to the first reading, where it's sort of this modest, like, okay, everybody ate, you know. Here... Jesus feeds them so that they've had their fill. And then, in the first reading, we're told, well, there was some left over. It was, very, again, very modest. There was some left over. Well, how did it work for Jesus' miracle? Well, he tells the, the disciples to gather the fragments so that nothing will be wasted. So they collected the fragments, and they filled 12 wicker baskets. 12 wicker, I don't know how big the baskets were. But the point is, what was left over was more than he started with. You see? What Jesus had left over was more than he began with. So the miracle of Jesus is one of abundance. He didn't just give enough. He gave in abundance or superabundance. This is how God gives. He gives to overflowing. Another distinction, Elisha cannot, cannot perform a miracle on his own because he is not God. He's not divine, right? He depends on the power of God. Jesus is, of course, God. He performs a miracle through his own power. It is by his own power that the miracle is performed. And so we see then this, this connection. And, you know, you might say, well, was this lost on the people? Did they understand what was going on? Well, they didn't completely understand what Jesus was up to yet. And we'll get to that in subsequent weeks. What we have here is the beginning of what's called the Bread of Life Discourse in the, the sixth chapter of John. And it all begins with the feeding of the multitude. But what he's performing here definitely harkens back to the prophet Elisha. And the people knew it because they had heard these stories throughout their childhood and, and well into adulthood. They had, they had heard them read at, you know, at, at the temple, etc. Because they even say at the end, this is truly the prophet, the one who is to come into the world. They understand the work that he's doing is the work of a prophet. And that's why he performs it. That's why he performs this specific miracle is to connect him with the line of prophets, but to show that what he's doing is greater than the prophets. You know, he's sort of one-upping, if you will, Elisha. He's saying, no, what I'm doing is, is even greater, is, is bringing those Old Testament prophecies to a greater fulfillment or to fulfillment. All, the th all that they had pointed to, I am fulfilling. And that's why... It's in this great abundance.
Now, at the end, we hear this interesting line. I don't know if, if you caught it. I don't know if you wondered, what, what does this mean? Since Jesus knew that they were going to come and carry off and make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain. Why would they make him king? They're going to make him king. And why would he withdraw? Why would he sort of run away from that? Well, in that kind of society, if you basically are, I mean, you're, <laughs> you're really, in a sense, the breadwinner, aren't you? Right? <laughs> I mean, if you're the guy who can keep making bread and food for a society that depends on, on the, the crops at, on, you know, every season, and people are basically going without, you have many hungry people. And if you can feed them like that, and they think, well, gosh, he's just going to keep feeding us. Let's make him king. We'll never go without. We'll never go without food. I mean, it was a, obviously a very, very much simpler time. People are worried about the most basic necessities, and having food is, of course, the most basic necessity. So make him king, and we'll have enough food. But here's the thing. Jesus is not concerned primarily with feeding everybody. He's not concerned with alleviating hunger. Not primarily. He's not concerned with alleviating disease primarily or fixing everyone's problems in this life. And this is where his actions then, you know, translate to us now. He's not concerned about our temporal issues or needs primarily. Not that he won't help us from time to time here and there. Not that he isn't even intervening at different times. But his primary concern is not our physical well-being. That's obvious. I mean, how much more obvious could that be? He's clearly not stretching out his hand and fixing every one of our problems. We pray that he might help us with that, if it's his will. But he isn't doing it a whole lot. Not at the, the temporal level, not in this life. And we might even grumble about that from time to time. Unless it's only me. Only one of you laughed, so it's me and you. Grumbling that God doesn't do more to fix stuff. But here's the thing. Jesus is not principally concerned about fixing people's temporal needs. He's operating on a whole other level. He's concerned about eternity. He's concerned about people's souls. And the most important thing he's trying to convey to the people here today in this section of John chapter 6 is that when God gives... He gives in abundance. He gives in abundance. And what he's pointing toward is greater than bread. What he's pointing toward is the Holy Eucharist. And what he gives in the Holy Eucharist, he gives in abundance. What he gives is his grace. Now what I want, what I want you all to do, I'm going to give you a, a homework assignment. Do you have Bibles? You're Catholic, so... I know you, you probably have them. All right, now what I want you to do is, is I want you to actually take them off the shelf. <laughs> this week, the Gospel of John, which, which is, of course, I'm sure your favorite gospel as well as mine. 
because <laughs> your priest is named after him. Um, and I, I really want you to read the entire chapter, John chapter 6, because we're going to be reading it in Mass. And you might say, well, why do we got to read it at home if we're going to hear it at Mass? Because I said so, that's why. Well, that's not why. Because I want you to prepare for I want you to read it in its entirety, because then I'm going to explain it to you in subsequent weeks. This is the teaching on the Eucharist that is so essential to our faith. It is clear, it is absolutely clear that Jesus gives us the, his real presence in the Eucharist. There is, it's unmistakable in, in, in the Gospel of John chapter 6. You have to do so many mental gymnastics to discredit what he says, because it's so obvious. And so we, it's a very important, you know, we have a very important time that we can break this open. So this is, it's not gonna take that long. It's like 50 verses, you know, and they're not long. So the Gospel of John, it's in the New Testament. <laughs> it's at the back of the book. The Gospel of John, chapter six. Read that. You already heard the first part of it today. Read that this week, okay? And, and what, I, what I'd really like for all of us to do is, over the next few weeks, you know, is really ruminate, really consider, really think about, and then uh, internalize more and more, you know, what we, what we believe about Jesus Christ in, and, and the real presence of him in the Eucharist and why this is such a great gift to us. Because what he does is he gives us his very life in abundance every time we receive him in the Blessed Sacrament. Please stand.